Good morning. How's everybody doing? Are we all right? It's good to see y'all. Good to be gathered together here and across all of our different locations here in the D.C. metro area. And welcome to those of you watching online. Uh, my name is Mike Kelsey, one of the pastors here. And it's good to be gathered uh, together to study God's Word. We got a lot of work to do this morning, so grab your Bibles and let's jump in. Uh, I'm excited about this message today, and I'll share more about this. But I'm excited about this message because it represents one of the biggest growth areas in my own personal life that has come as a direct result of being a part of this church. So we'll dive into that. But if you're new, we've been in a series called Following Jesus, where we're studying the gospel of Mark together. Uh, and if you're new to the Bible, that's the second book of the New Testament. So you got Matthew, then you got Mark. And today we're picking up where we left off two weeks ago, uh, the Sunday before Easter in Mark chapter 7, verse 31. So I want to recap some of the context we've already covered in chapter 7 so that we're all caught up to speed. Y'all ready? Here, other locations. Everybody ready? All right. We're going to be in Mark chapter 7. Now we're going to pull up a map so you can see this as I explain it. Um, but Jesus had been ministering in the northern region of Israel, a region called Galilee. And you see that in the, this, the top purple area on the map. Now, earlier in chapter 7, Jesus left Galilee and crossed over the northern Israel border into Gentile territory. That's the top right area, or, or top red area, I'm sorry. You see it says Phoenicia. Uh, so he, he leaves Galilee and goes into that region, uh, it's Gentile territory, and he eventually stopped in a port city called Tyre. Now, it might be hard to see it there on the map, but there's two cities all the way up at the top on the left, kind of along the, the blue water there. That's the Mediterranean Sea. And the city all the way up top is Sidon, uh, which we'll talk about. And then the city right below that is Tyre. Uh, and now while we're looking at the map, look at that uh, bottom red area there. That is an area called the Decapolis. And we're going to talk about that. It's a group of Greek cities uh, that we'll read about in our passage. So remember I said Jesus left Galilee to go into this Gentile region. And he left Galilee for two reasons. The first is a very practical reason. He needed a break from all the chaos of ministry in Galilee you remember reading through the Gospel of Mark that the crowds are constantly swarming him. The Jewish leaders are constantly harassing him. And he needed some time to rest and regroup with his disciples. So that was the practical reason. But there's also a spiritual reason. Because remember, everywhere Jesus goes, he's always on a divine itinerary. There are divine appointments scheduled for, the, for him everywhere he goes. And so his interactions with people weren't random. His interactions were designed to teach us something about who he is and the mission that he came to accomplish. Every interaction he had with a person is designed to help us better understand what the character and kingdom of God are like. And so two weeks ago, we studied how Jesus healed the daughter of a Syrophoenician woman, a woman who would have been seen by first century Jews as a spiritual, cultural, and political enemy. And we pick up from there in verse 31. Verse 31, Mark chapter 7, it says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Now, if you remember the map, this is weird. Jesus, for whatever reason, decides to take the scenic route. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever for him to go up north from Tyre into Sidon just to go back down like southeast to get to that region of the Decapolis. So why did Jesus do that? Ask him. I have no idea. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. Scholars debate it. I'll let them debate that. But all I know is Jesus ends up in the Decapolis. And there, verse 32, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on this man. Now, Mark focuses just on this one particular man, but according to Matthew, this man was one of many people Jesus healed in the Decapolis. So listen to how Matthew summarizes Jesus' ministry uh, in these cities. Matthew chapter 15, verse 30, 
It says, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So that the crowds wondered, they were in awe when they saw the mute speaking and the crippled healthy, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So Jesus is demonstrating his power and he's pouring out his mercy. He's healing all these people with all kinds of disabilities. But Mark decides to zoom in and highlight this one man And he gives us an intimate look at his personal encounter with Jesus. He gives us two details about this man. First of all, he's deaf, so he's not able to hear. And then secondly, he has some kind of speech impediment, which is common for deaf people. He's probably able to vocalize sound, but he can't clearly articulate through verbal speech. And it's interesting that there's only one other time this word for speech impediment is used in the Bible, and it's in the Greek translation of Isaiah 35, where Isaiah prophesies a day when creation itself will experience healing and restoration under the reign of God. Isaiah 35, verse 5, it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. So Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy and kickstarting this new phase of the kingdom of God. Now, I think it's important to pause here and acknowledge the fact that some of our English translations of the Bible include language that's outdated. And to be honest, language that can sometimes be offensive to some of our deaf brothers and sisters. And that's not to say that God's word is outdated, but the languages we use in our English-like translations of of God's word, they, they evolve over time. And so words like mute and lame that we just read about, they can communicate some things in 2022 that they didn't necessarily communicate in previous generations. In fact, many deaf people, uh, they don't see deafness as a disability at all because they, they have their own language, their own culture, their own community. And so a lot of people in the deaf community, they don't see themselves as limited or disabled in any meaningful way. And, and, and many of you know, like I, the, the church I grew up in in Northeast Washington, D.C., where my dad still pastors today, it's literally across the street from Gallaudet University. And so, I mean, people there have their own culture and community that's all built around this shared language. And I think that's a helpful reminder, at least for me personally, to see people holistically and not just in terms of whatever physical or even intellectual challenges they may face. And the fact of the matter is that while many of us get to experience hearing and other physical or intellectual blessings, others of us have limitations in those areas, but, but we get to experience a new world of blessings that, that people with typical abilities don't get to experience. I read this beautiful article by a father of a young adult with intellectual disabilities. And this part of the article struck me. He was describing his son, and this is what he said. He said, though his dependency is counted against him in most cultures of the world, he approaches life as God instructs all of us to live. He has no anxiety about what he will eat or wear, Matthew 6. He does not worry about tomorrow or live with regrets about his past. He forgives quickly and completely. He never held a grudge. He shows no partiality with regard to ethnicity, education, or wealth, James chapter 2. He's completely unembarrassed at his dependency, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And then he said, frankly, he lives more freely in his limitations than any normal adult I know. Listen, God's strength is often more perfectly revealed in weakness, and that's a blessing. And to be honest, I was talking, I was talking to Joel uh, Dillon, the director of, of Jill's House, which we'll talk about 
And he pointed this out to me. He said, listen, Mike, most of us will experience some form of disability at some point, whether through sickness, injury, accident, genetics, or just plain old old age, right? But we also have to remember, I think, that people in Jesus' day didn't have, and listen, many places around the world still don't have the kinds of provisions that we have for deaf people and people with various disabilities here in America. I read several scholars who pointed out that in an oral and auditory culture, which is the culture of Jesus' day, rather than a visual or print culture like we have in the modern West, inability to speak or hear cut a person off from their community. And so this man in Mark 7 faced significant challenges, so much so that a group of people, most likely his friends or family, begged Jesus to heal him. And that's a common theme in the Gospels. Everywhere Jesus went, he was immediately swarmed by people in desperate need. He was constantly confronted by the deep pain and extensive suffering around him. Listen, Jesus didn't just float around unaware and unbothered by people's pain. No, this is, this is God in human flesh. Come on, this is good news, y'all. This is God who chose to enter into the human plight, who chose not to insulate himself from the emotional strain and the physical demands of caring for people in need. And this is such a good word to all of us. Because especially here in the D.C. area, we can be so focused and moving so fast that people with different needs than ours begin to feel like an inconvenience or like a burden. This is good news for, for us, especially those of us in ministry leadership. Listen, pastors, church group leaders, team leaders, sometimes we can be in ministry because we love to use our gifts, but we don't want to slow down to actually be with and care for people. And all of us feel this, right? I think about our Sunday culture. For those of us that gather in person here and at all of our other locations. Come on, y'all. Like some of us come here for the service and then we dip as soon as possible. Right when or actually before the service is even over. And listen, no judgment. I get it. I understand. A lot of us have really important things to do on Sunday afternoons, like football and all kinds of very, very important things. We, like jokingly, we all have things to do. But listen, what would it look like, particularly for those of us who are followers of Jesus, what would it look like if we began to view Sundays differently, if we intentionally built in some extra time to be available to people? Listen, what would it look like if we saw the lobby as a ministry? Not, a, not as a formal ministry, just normal, nice people being intentional and available for how the Holy Spirit might want to use us to check on somebody who's struggling to encourage somebody having a rough time, to welcome someone who feels disconnected. And this is one of the reasons I love reading the Gospels as often as I can, because you get these beautiful, intimate snapshots of Jesus stopping to be with and care for hurting people. And that's what we see here in Mark 7. They bring this man to Jesus and look at verse 33, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, Jesus put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Don't do that in the lobby. <laughs> and then verse 34, Jesus looked up to heaven. That's something he often did before performing a miracle. You see this earlier in Mark chapter 6, right before he multiplied the fish and the loaves. You see it in John 11, before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He would look up to heaven as a way of communing with God the Father and as a way of communicating to everybody watching that the miracle I'm about to perform is the work of God himself. 
that I'm not just some mere prophet or rabbi, that I have divine authority to do what I'm about to do. And he demonstrated that authority with this brief command. He sighed and said to the man, Ephatha, which is Aramaic for be opened. In verse 35, his ears were opened. His tongue was released. And this man, maybe for the first time in his entire life, spoke plainly. Listen, what happens here is extraordinary. It's extraordinary just reading it on a surface level, but but it's so much more vivid in the original Greek. When it says his tongue was released, the Greek literally says the chain of his tongue was broken. That's why James Edwards, a New Testament scholar, says the breaking of the fetter by Jesus is a figure of liberation. Listen, Jesus came to break chains. Come on, it's only like four people that said amen. I know somebody believes that's good news. Jesus came to break chains. He came to break chains. This is what we talked about last Sunday. That Jesus came to set humanity free from every form of bondage that keeps us from fully enjoying his goodness to us and keeps us from fully expressing his image in us. Every form of physical bondage, every form of psychological bondage, every form of societal bondage. But at the root, he came to set us free from every form of spiritual bondage. The spiritual bondage that's perpetuated by Satan. The spiritual bondage that we gladly participate in because of our sin. Listen, Jesus came not just to reverse the effects of the curse of sin, but he came to cut down to the spiritual root to redeem us from sin itself. And that's why in verse 36, Jesus charged them to tell no one about this man's healing. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And you see this over and over again throughout the gospel of Mark. And it can be confusing. Why would Jesus not want them to tell people about what he did for them? And this is so key to understanding this passage. Here's why. Because although physical healing was a part of his ministry, he didn't want that to distract people from his ultimate mission. In fact, and listen, this is so important. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus' miracles can only be rightly understood in light of Jesus' mission. Let me say that again. Jesus' miracles can only be rightly understood in light of Jesus' mission. And that mission was leading him to the cross to die in our place for our sins. See, listen, you got to understand who Jesus is. Like if you're here and you're watching, you're exploring Christianity, you got questions about the Bible and the gospel, listen, this is where you got to lean in because it's important for you to understand who Jesus is, who he's revealing himself to be. He's the Jewish Messiah. He's the Davidic king who came to offer his life as a sacrifice, as the only permanent remedy to our sin and our guilt before God. And that's why he came to the Jews first, to proclaim the good news that he is the fulfillment of all of God's old covenant promises. But remember, in Mark 7, Jesus is in Gentile territory. And Gentiles weren't part of God's covenant people. So there's no reason for any of these people to expect this Jewish miracle worker to help them. But that's the thing. Jesus is not just a miracle worker. He's the Messiah. He is the Savior. And he's on a mission to save people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. To save people in this room and at other locations and watching this message and in this community. Jesus is on a mission. And so this miracle in Gentile territory was a heads up. 
It was a sign that something new was happening, a sign that God was at work in unclean places among unclean people, that the long-awaited kingdom of God and his saving grace was available to all people, not just the Jews. Jesus here was paving the way for the gospel to reach this region, including those in this region with disabilities. So I want to pause in this study because I want us to think about, like, what does this have to do with us today? What does it have to do with us as a church family? What does it have to do with us in our personal lives? Well, can I be honest? Come on, please tell me yes. Can I be honest? All right. And I never said this publicly I don't know that I'd ever said it to anybody before the 9 a.m. service earlier this morning. But early in my childhood, I had a couple experiences with people with disabilities, and I didn't even realize until over the course of my life that those experiences early on actually produced in me a, a, a discomfort, even a fear around people with disabilities. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to do. And then, almost 15 years ago, I joined this church family. And if you've never visited in person, like I came here to this building, a part of this church family, and it's people with disabilities everywhere, not just like quarantine off in some like corner of the building, but they are everywhere a part of the life of this church. And this is one of the benefits of being in a diverse community because God will be used people who are different from you to help you grow. And God began, as I was a part of this church family, he began to show me more and more of his heart. So I want you to look back at verse 33, because I know some of y'all are like, for real, Mike, so you're just not going to explain what, what Jesus, you're just going to skate through verse 33. We're just not going to talk about, well, let's look at verse 33. Chapter 7, verse 33, let's look at it again. It says, in taking him aside from the crowd privately, Jesus put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting on his hand, he touched this man's tongue. Pause. Jesus, you are doing the most right now. You're doing the absolute most. What is happening right now? Well, first of all, think about it. Think about it. Even if you're not that familiar with the Bible, just think about this. We know that Jesus doesn't have to do all this in order to heal this man. I mean, think about the passage we studied right before this in chapter 7. I've referenced it where the Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus and he heals her daughter who isn't even in the vicinity. And we see a lot of other examples in Scripture where Jesus healed solely by the authority of his word without actually touching or, or even being near the person. So why does Jesus do all of this? And I think it's very simple. You ain't got no Greek. You don't have to study a whole bunch of theology. I, I think it's actually very simple. I think Jesus was slowing down and actually taking the time to communicate with this man, I'm about to heal you. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way. He said, Jesus spoke to him in the language he could understand, sign language. The fingers placed in his ears and then removed meant, I'm going to remove the blockage from your hearing. The spitting and the touching of the man's tongue meant, I'm going to remove the blockage in your mouth. The glance up to heaven meant, it is God alone who is able to do this for you. And here's why I think this is so beautiful and profound, because I think this is more than just Jesus showing compassion. I think this is Jesus showing this man honor. Maybe in a way that this man had never experienced and certainly wouldn't have expected from a dignitary like Jesus. 
I mean, think about it. This is why I love the Bible. When you slow down and really reflect on it, Jesus honored this man by slowing down and giving him undivided attention in private and going out of his way, as it were, to communicate with him. Jesus demonstrated something that all of us need to be reminded of. And if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. People with disabilities are made in the image of God. Listen, this is so important for us to understand. Like if you, especially if you travel, and it's true in our culture today, it's needed in our culture, but especially if you travel to other places around the world where people who have disabilities are overlooked and abused and taken advantage of, it is so important for us to state the obvious that people with disabilities are not less human, they are not less valuable, and this is so important, they are not less capable of bearing the image of God. Amen. Listen, they have inherent dignity regardless of their physical or intellectual ability because they have been fearfully and wonderfully made by God himself. And so people with disabilities outside of the womb and inside of the womb are made in the image of God. And people with disabilities are invited into the kingdom of God. This man experiences the power of God's kingdom in the healing ministry of Jesus. But as we've already talked about, this was a precursor to the salvation that will soon be announced in the gospel. This is why we work to spread the gospel among all people, including people with disabilities, so that they would know the love of God revealed in the sacrifice of Jesus and be brought in, born again. So people with disabilities, listen, are made in the image of God and are invited into the kingdom of God. And therefore, this is where it hits home. If you're taking notes, listen, people with disabilities should be welcomed and included in the family of God. Welcomed and included as a part of this local family. Like I said, by my own personal experiences, I've been at this church for almost my entire adult life, and I'm still learning and growing in how to do this on a pastoral level and on a personal level. But again, that's one of the reasons I'm so glad to be a part of this church family. Because as you know, many of you know, by God's grace, this has been one of our key priorities here at McLean Bible Church for over two decades now. So what I want to do with the rest of the time that we have, I just want to highlight some of the ways God is at work in our church family among people with all kinds of, of disabilities. I'm going to highlight three ministries, and, and this will be reviewed for, for some of you, but there's so many of you here watching online at other locations who are new to our church. I meet people every single week who are like, I just connected with y'all during the pandemic, online, I moved to this area. So I want to share what God has done and is doing in the life of our church. And the first ministry that I want to highlight, it mainly serves children and families that are outside of our church. So if you're watching online or from one of our locations, if you've never been here to the Tyson's location, you may not be aware of this, but but there's a, a building, a huge building on our property right across from the parking garage. I know you're like, they got a parking garage? Yes, this building is huge. There's a parking garage right across from the parking garage. There's a building that houses a ministry called Jill's House. That's a ministry that our church started and continues to support and has grown over the years to become its own nonprofit organization with sites in several different cities around the country. Instead of me trying to describe it to you, let me just show it to you. I want y'all to check out this video.
everybody needs rest. Our families need rest, our kids need rest. Our kids are all different levels of intellectual disabilities, but also physical needs. They get to take a break from therapy appointments and doctor's appointments. They're excited about getting to explore Jill's house, getting to do activities that maybe they don't get to do in other settings. Lots of opportunity for them to just really explore life and make meaningful relationships. just really thrive in an environment of routine. When they're walking through the doors and they're greeted and then they go back to the pod area, the kids know what's coming next. They know that it's safe. They know that we're trying to help them to thrive. The parents drop them off. You just immediately see a huge smile on their face, excited to play with all the activities that we offer, like the playground and pool. We have schedules all throughout the weekend, whether it's painting in the art room or playing basketball or jumping in the moon bounce. We like to go on the playground, art room, computer. I think I see mom and dad. Hi, mom. Hi, dad. Some of our kids don't get invited to birthday parties or don't get to participate in a sleepover, but here at Jill's house, they're able to have that experience, which is really special. While our kids get to have an exceptional experience here at Jill's house, we also provide the respite for their parents. Not seeing them for a couple of days, we get to appreciate her more. We appreciate each other, and we appreciate you know, our other daughter as well. We really got the true feeling of respite, and we knew that she was having fun. We call this her vacation. It's such an exciting place for Emily. She just lights up, and it's a place that really celebrates Emily. As soon as we came around the corner, I said, Ava, look, look where we are. She started jumping up and down in the car. I can completely relax for this whole 48 hours. I recharge, we all recharge. The 48 hours give us so much energy to just bounce back and take care of her. Jill's house uh, was named, for those of you who don't know, in honor of Jill, the daughter of our previous senior pastor, Lon, and his wife, Brenda. She's wrestled with severe disabilities just about her entire life, including now into her adult life. She just turned 30, uh, just celebrated her 30th birthday. And I don't have time to tell the whole story, but you should visit the Jill's House website, jillshouse.org, to read more about why Jill's house is such a miraculous testimony to the wisdom and faithfulness of God. God has used Jill's life in ways that she cannot fully comprehend yet, but one day she will. One day she will. In the meantime, you'll see Jill here around the church. Uh, she's typically in her favorite place here at the Tyson's location. Also my favorite place here at the Tyson's location, the NBC Cafe. Um, but uh, that's Jill and that's Jill's house. Let me introduce you to Access Ministry, which some of you may be familiar with already. Access Ministry is one of the ministries that we have inside our church. And to those of you watching from our Arlington location, as you get settled in your new building, which is amazing, by the way. In fact, all of us that's not down at Arlington need to visit your building uh, down there. Uh, our, our hope is that at some point soon we'll be able to establish Access Ministry uh, down there, but Access serves children and young adults with special needs through a variety of different programs and events. And we actually just had an Access Worship Night recently for our teens and adults across all locations. There were over 120 people who attended and worshiped the Lord together. And you got to see some of the pictures from that night. I don't have time to explain all of them, so we're just going to run the pictures while I explain more about uh, Access. 
But Access runs a specialized Sunday school class for children ages 2 to 15, as well as a Sunday gathering for teens and adults with disabilities ages 16 and over that meets during our service time. It's like Sunday school for our kids and teenagers and young adults and adults with uh, disabilities. We got a buddy program that offers one-on-one support to children who will thrive in typical Kids Quest settings with a one-on-one buddy helping them participate. Uh, We got uh, ADDP, uh, which stands for Adults with Disabilities Day Program. That's our program for adults with special needs that meets Monday to Friday at both the Tysons and Prince William location. Hopefully, we'll, we'll be able to expand that more. They offer these adults a meaningful place in their community to serve and to fellowship with each other. And then there's Respite, uh, which is another ministry of access that, that runs monthly and provides a fun-filled night to children with special needs and their siblings while their parents get some much-needed respite. We got two access uh, vacation Bible school camps coming this summer that'll provide a week-long respite for parents and a week of learning more about Jesus for kids, teens, and adults with disabilities. Man, access does so, so much. And I thank God for all of our staff and volunteers across all of our locations that serve in access. Um, So matter of fact, can we give it up for our volunteers and staff that serve in access? All right, so that's Jill's house, that's Access. Last ministry I wanna highlight is our deaf ministry. And this ministry is somewhat distinct from Jill's house and Access uh, because like we've talked about, folks served by and, and serving in this ministry aren't people with the kinds of physical or intellectual disabilities that we've been talking about. This ministry was created because of the language barrier between those who communicate through sign language, and those who communicate through spoken languages. Listen, it's estimated that there are anywhere between 400 and 500 different sign languages around the world. And so obviously our deaf ministry here is built on American sign language, uh, and our deaf ministry serves in a lot of different ways, including working and partnering to plant churches and spread the gospel internationally among unreached deaf communities. But one of the primary ways they serve is through our team of interpreters on Sundays. They spend hours, y'all, every week, along with our other language interpreters, preparing for Sunday, reading through the worship lyrics and Bible passages, reading through the sermon notes when they get them beforehand. Pray for your boy. Um, They prepare all of the content, all of that, so that our deaf brothers and sisters can fully participate in our worship gatherings. And listen, that's the key. We want everyone in our church family to be able to fully participate. So, hey, can we give it up across all of our locations for all of our volunteers that serve in our deaf ministry? Listen, this is the kind of community that God calls us to in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul writes in verse 21, that I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Listen, I thank God for all of the ministries and programs and events that we have here in our church that recognize people of varying abilities as those who are made in the image of God, invited to enjoy the kingdom of God, and included, welcomed, and prayerfully as God works to bring people to salvation, included as followers of Jesus in the family of God. And even outside of the church, I'm thankful for the ways in which our society has made provisions to be more welcoming and inclusive of deaf people and people with various disabilities. But I was reading some of Joni Erickson Tada's writings. She's a legend in the special needs community, a Christian. She was serving on the National Council on Disability when the ADA, the American with Disabilities Act, was, was passed in 1990. 
And after the presidential signing ceremony, she was at a reception where the director of the council, Paul Hearn, spoke. And she wrote down what he said. She wrote that Paul wheeled to the front to propose a toast, and this is what he said. He said, this is a wonderful day. This landmark civil rights legislation will open a great door of access to all Americans with disabilities. Discriminatory employment policies will soon be a thing of the past. It will mean qualified people with disabilities will enjoy greater access to jobs. This law will also set new standards for constructing buildings, and it will provide greater access to public accommodations. Wheelchair users will no longer have to be carried up the steps of a restaurant. And one day, buses across America will be outfitted with mechanical lifts. There'll be no barriers to public transportation. And then she wrote, Paul then took a deep breath and proceeded. The Americans with Disabilities Act will do this, but it will not change the heart of the employer. This law will not change the heart of the maitre d' in the restaurant. It will not change the hearts of architects or people in the building industry. And this law will not change the heart of the bus driver. And he paused one more time, lifted his glass and said, here's to change hearts. Listen, how many of you know Jesus specializes in changed hearts? And this is why I think that kind of heart change has to begin in the church. So let me ask you, let me ask you, do you have any fear or discomfort around people with certain kinds of disabilities? How might God be inviting you to be more intentional and welcoming and inclusive of people with disabilities, not just helping to do that in our church family, but even in your own personal life or where you go to work or where you go to school? To those of you with disabilities and to you families caring for people with disabilities. I know that in some ways life can be more difficult than many people, including me, really understand. Like the sleepless nights, the sudden emergencies, the, the, the hospital visits, the, the, the medical costs. Like life in this fallen world can be heavy. And listen, I think that's why Jesus sighed right before he said to this man, be opened. I think he sighed for the same reason he wept before he raised Lazarus from the dead, because like us, Jesus felt the weight of a world that isn't the way it's supposed to be. So listen, because this is the hope that's held out ultimately in the gospel. And if you're taking notes, it's the last thing to write down before we close. Listen, in Christ, not only are people with disabilities made in the image of God and invited into the kingdom of God and hopefully welcomed and included in the family of God, but one day people with disabilities will be fully restored in the presence of God. Fully restored. In every way, not just physically, but also socially. So we didn't read yet the last verse that we'll end on in Mark chapter 7, verse 37. It says, after Jesus healed this man, everybody around and including this man, they were astonished beyond measure. And here's what they said. He has done all things well, Amen. he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I love that line. He has done all things well. It's a remix of the chorus that we read over and over again in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where God looked out over all that he created and saw that it was good. He saw that he had done all things well. And so in Genesis, God is the one who's acknowledging his good work in creation. But here in Mark, it's humanity that's astonished 
and acknowledging Jesus's good work of new creation, of restoration. And that moment is pointing us to the moment that we've all been waiting for. Come on, aren't you looking forward to the day? Will you be able to look around at everything in the world and you'll be able to say with 100% confidence and 100% clarity, God, you have done all things well. Amen. You've done all things well. I think about my buddy Jake out at our Montgomery County location who was autistic but a vibrant, active part of our church family. And he died in a bicycle accident when he was 17 years old. And when I think about this passage, listen, Steve and Jen, his parents, when I think about this passage, I can see Jake standing in the perfect presence of God, looking at God and saying, God, you have made all things well. God, you've made all things well. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the hope that God wants you and me to have. You, if you've been resisting or delaying putting your trust in Jesus, if you've been exploring Christianity, this is the ultimate hope that Jesus came to forgive us from our sins by dying on the cross in our place and rising from the grave, but that Jesus is coming again to restore all things, to make all things new. And in that moment, if you are in Christ, you will be able to say, Jesus, you have done all things well. That is the invitation for you to step into that relationship with God through what Jesus has done for you on the cross and to enjoy that relationship, to enjoy that goodness, to enjoy that glory for all of eternity with those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, including those of us, brothers and sisters in Christ, in our church family with disabilities who have heard the gospel and have trusted in Jesus and are now partners in the gospel in spreading that good news, not just here, but all over the world. So I want to end with letting you hear from one of our brothers. This is my man Samuel. He's one of our young adults here in our church family. And I mentioned the Access Worship Night. Samuel had an opportunity to share his testimony at the Access Worship Night. And I thought it was the perfect way to end to let him have the last word and to share what God has done in his life. Check out Samuel in this video. Jesus is my creator who created me in his image. I know that there are many things that I cannot do in, in, in this world like running, talking smoothly, or even standing without holding my walker. But Jesus gave me the gift of faith to live to live in this world, looking to the future eternal, eternal life with him, where I will be free of physical problems. He teaches me that in his image, I can do all things in him. He has given me a, a, he has given me a wonderful family who helps me and supports me in all things. He has brought into my life so many killing people to help me grow stronger physically and spiritually. I am so thankful for the brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ like Access Ministry, here at, here at, here at the McQueen Bible Church, Jesus led my parents to the beautiful blessings here since I, w- w- since I was just a real boy. Jesus guided me through my whole life so that I am now able to offer my faith testimony as a member of, member of the McQueen Bible Church's Friendship Club. Jesus has brought all of you to my life and I am filled with joy in his grace. Jesus is my sovereign Lord of all of all authority and the name above all names. Just don't look at the people. He is faithful and good to me. 
to pretend me to be God's worker and happy witness of his love and care. My hope is in Jesus. I thank you, everyone, for just letting me to share to, to share with you today. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for your word and thank you for your work. You do all things well. Thank you that you've made us in your image and that you've sent Jesus to save us so that we could not only bear your image, but that we could enjoy your presence now and for all of eternity. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray for folks that are here, gathered at our different locations, those who are watching online who have not yet put their trust in you. God, I pray that you would save them. Pray, Lord, that you would turn their resistance to surrender. Pray that you would turn their doubt and their unbelief into faith. That you would draw their hearts to you today. And for those of us who have put our trust in you, and particularly those of us who are part of this church family here at McLean Bible Church, Lord, I pray that you would continue in and through us the legacy that you've started in this church, Lord. That together, as a church family across varying abilities, Lord, that you would use us to bring your name glory as the one who does all things well. God, would you do that in us for your glory and in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus Christ. We pray this. Amen. Amen.